Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. Today, Kevin is speaking with Billy Colton. Billy is the current head men's soccer coach at the NCAA Division II program, Gannon University. Billy entered his first year as head coach this past season and was awarded PSAC West Coach of the Year. In addition, he and his staff were also recognized as the United Soccer Coaches Atlantic Region Coaching Staff of the Year. In today's episode, they'll discuss how Billy and his predecessor created a pathway for player development, how he modifies training and game plans based on performance analysis, his advice to recruits as well as international players, and his philosophy and format of preseason training. Hey, Billy, appreciate you coming on today. So you just finished your first full year, right, uh, as head coach? Yeah, so I got the head coach job. Officially, it was August 1st, 2019. When did Mickey come along? Was he there when you got the head position or was he always there? with Dan? No, so? Mickey, I hired Mickey as my assistant like two weeks later. Okay. So it's you, him, and does Danny help you out as well? Yeah, Danny is Danny's an assistant coach for both the men's and the women's team. Okay. He does all the strength and conditioning, Yeah. Um, the warm-ups, the recovery sessions, everything like that, and the goalkeepers. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the goalkeepers. Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah, How many so keepers perfect. do you have between the two teams then? We have six. Well, it justifies his uh, position there, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, between both programs as well. Mm. There's a lot for him to do. How did you start the development program? Was that Dale's initiative or did it come from administration? or That was Dale because he started it at Mercyhurst yeah. um, years before. So he could then get Nanad in as a full-time assistant. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I don't know if it was when he was interviewing at Gannon or when he first started at Gannon that he floated the idea. Yeah. But it was a similar sort of process. Mm-hmm. So um, what's, um, well, obviously it might change a little bit in the next couple of weeks or months, but what's your uh, like team size between, or like roster size between both teams? Right now we have 51 on the roster, but we have one of them, well, we have 51 was supposed to be 52, but one has deferred to the spring, an incoming freshman um, from Brazil. And then we have one that stayed in Australia. He wanted to study online for the semester. He didn't want to come back. So right now we have 50 on campus. Okay. And do you typically do you train in separate groups or is there any any time they like mingle or such? No, so it's first team train, development team train. There's two different sessions, but then at times we'll bring development team players up if they're doing well to practice with the first team and see how they get on. Um, sometimes they stay there, sometimes they end up going back down. Yeah. And then more so after games during the season, if some first team players didn't get many minutes in the game the day before and we're just in a recovery session, they'd ask to practice with the development team so they can stay sharp and fit and get their touches. Yeah. For the development team, do you have scheduled games that they'll play throughout the year? or just... Yeah, so we schedule between 12 and 14 games. Um, so they get plenty of time to, to play and to shine as well. Yeah. Say a freshman comes in and um, they're on initially on the development squad. Um, what's that conversation like? Or, you know, how do you set them up for long-term success? I prefer to make everyone aware of where they're at from the start because I find it makes it a lot easier than when they come in. If you just say you're on the roster and then they get here and find out they're on a second team or whatever, it's not going to be too easy. So I'd tell tell kids coming in, I think you'll be on the development team um, or you will be on the development team to start with. And then I always give them three examples 
Um, we had one boy who just graduated in May and he ended up being on the development team all four years. He never made the jump up. We had one boy who was on the development team for two years. His junior year, he played quite a bit in the first team. Like he made the jump up. And then his senior year, he got scholarship money and he's played every game except one. One was an academical American, started every game except one. Yeah. And then there's one other boy we brought in last year as a freshman who we told him he was going to be on the development team to start. But he was one that we we thought he'd be a year on the development team. But five days into preseason, we moved him up and he played 11s with the first team and then we kept him there. Yeah. So it's like, it is fluid. It's, it's very fluid. You do get your chance if you're proving it. But sometimes they think that it's one good session and then they should be moving up. They don't understand that it's a week or two weeks and a few good performances in a row to get the chance to move up. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you know of any other um, programs in the area that are going with that type of system with a development squad? Or like uh, yeah. There's a lot in Division 2 now. Mercia, Walsh, uh, John Carroll, Notre Dame have it to a degree, Charleston. Um, they're just the ones off the top of my head, but I think there's a good number that are doing it. Yeah, that's interesting because I think it was, well, you were already graduated from Mercyhurst. I think it was um, maybe junior year or senior year when we started at Mercyhurst. And now, like you said, you have it and a lot of other programs do as well. Yeah, it does work well as a feeder system. And, you know, even bringing people back from injuries, they can get half hour in a development team game and Mm -hmm. basically like having a reserve team back home. Yeah. Well, I think it's especially helpful too when, with the current format season with playing, you know, two, three games a week as well as, you know, recovery and having a full squad is important, especially when you get the nationals. Yeah, it does because as well at times, you know, it's like if you're for them players that are sort of on the bubble and not playing much in the first team, but they're in the first team squad. If you only have a first team and you're not doing any extra, then it's quick for them to lose fitness and lose sharpness when you play three times a week and two of them sessions two of them training sessions and then recovery sessions. Yeah. They don't get much. Then having the ability to then go into a full team session um, and it still gives them the chance to impress and gives them more opportunities to not only playing it touches on the ball, but to show that they should be playing or doing more, getting more minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, What's your thought on the initial plan for spring? Uh, We're playing a modified season. I mean, at this point, we just want to play anything we can. The more games, the better in my eyes. I personally disagreed with the 50% model that they was putting out there. Uh, I think we should be looking to play as much as we can. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think a lot of it is still to be determined. Like, honestly, we don't don't really know what January is going to be like, if we're honest. Yeah. Things are going to change so much between now and then anyway. Yeah. Um, Just when you were talking about training and breaking down, I know... Um, from online that you're a big proponent to using data and um, technology and like real world examples in your training. Um, can you give us an example um, of of something like that? And then also, how did you start getting into it? Um, you know Ollie Gage, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So Ollie's the head of recruitment and data analysis for the entire Canadian National League. Before that, he was at um, Houston Dynamos. And before that, he won a national championships with Virginia in that position. So just talking to him a lot first got me intrigued by and interested. Then I took his few coaching courses that he does online. And it's, I love it because you can't argue with it. You can't argue with the stats and the facts. Obviously, there's some stuff that's subjective, but the stuff that he does and that we talk about is pure numbers that has 
evidence that backs up what he says as well. So that was how I first started getting into it. And then I always knew we wanted to do more. So when I got the job, that was one of the first things we invested in. Um, Ollie actually came down and did a presentation to the team and talked through it. And he spent two days with me and Mickey. And we developed um, a set of metrics that we wanted to measure from every game based on how we wanted to play. And then the metrics was as simple as putting numbers into an Excel spreadsheet, which just from watching the game back, which we would be doing anyway. So it's just a case of, taking some numbers then then we put that in the spreadsheet and it shows us how we performed in that game for them principles and then it also went into a season long one that showed us how we performed in each individual game next to each other so then when you're looking at the season long one and you see numbers are down for something for two or three games in a row that is then is a clear signal that you need to work on that in training again it's either not working or it's just been forgotten and it's, it's the perfect way of sometimes things slip through the cracks and you don't always realise that things ain't working as much as you want them to. But as soon as you see the numbers, then you know you need to work on it again or you know that it's working well and you can maybe focus on somewhere else. So that's, that's how we really used it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it see, almost seems like your approach is to focus more on your, your own tactics versus you know, who you're playing as well. Not that you won't focus on who you're playing, but kind of work towards your own um, advantages or positive traits for certain players you have. Yeah, that, there's a lot. It's hard, obviously, because in professionals, they have so much free time to work on everything and anything they want. Whereas we're trying to manage some kids taking six classes and you know some kids in their senior, senior years that are taking important classes that ain't your 100 level and that are very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. So trying to balance, sometimes I think less is more in terms of just giving them a few things to understand and a few things they need to focus on and getting them exactly right compared to give them so much information that they can't take it all in. Yeah. Um, we, do, we do some work on the opposition, but the opposition work is mainly me breaking down a game and sending maybe 10 to 15 clips that they watch by themselves when they're ready but before the next training session. So we can talk about our training. We'll talk about the opposition, but we'll focus more on getting our own performance right because we have confidence that if we get our own performance right, we'll win the game. It's interesting to just see in the last um, like six to ten years how much has changed um, because you know when we were playing, there was none of that really. <laughs> we barely even had our games videoed. Yeah. Um, when I came out as a freshman, I um, believe you were in your senior year. Uh, Ollie was in his senior year. And um, it seemed like you, you were, you know, some of the first people to, to make the trip over to America. Um, I didn't know too many people older than you guys, to be honest. If you had any advice for someone now, um, say a 16, 17, 18-year-old in England, Ireland, or anywhere outside of America, what advice would you give them? Get as much footage as you can break it down into highlights and have a 90 minute game ready to send as well. Because obviously most coaches are going to rely on that heavily to, to recruit you. Be humble and open. You know, we get a good amount of kids that start emailing us in March, April time, I'd say looking for sometimes big scholarship dollars. And the reason they're emailing us that late is because they don't understand the system. They think it's division one or nothing. 
then they don't get the offer they want at Division One. So it's like, oh, now I'll try Division Two. I'll surely get something there. And all our scholarship dollars are taken. They're they're all gone. It's like because they're, they're almost too arrogant. Yeah. I want to say. Um, I think that is more so with the British mentality as well. I think we are an arrogant country, so to speak, and not everyone back home understands the level out here and what it's got to now. I talk to as many colleges as possible. Get your name out there. Be specific with your emails. There's nothing worse than I won't respond to an email that I see has been sent to 200 coaches. Yeah, and. You know, in them emails, it often says something like, I've been researching your university and I really want to play for you. Well, no, you don't. You've not done anything. There's, no, then, there's no school name or there, there's no, nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, there's, really. there's, nothing, there's nothing to make me want to come and talk to you. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, when you do talk to a coach, be prepared, like, be organised, have your research, know about the school, know about the college. Don't ask stupid questions like what was your record last year that's easy to find on the website. Yeah. Uh, again, that's one you get quite often. Um, we had a kid come in. He's like, you're Division 2, right? He's driven two hours here. And he doesn't even know. He wasn't even 100% sure what division we was in. Not exactly. Yeah, quick search online, you know. In the car, you could have Googled that and it, it was done. But, you know, it's the same thing for the kids back home as well, or any kid anywhere that wants to go. There's so many people now that want to come that you have to stand out. You have to, you know, you could be the greatest player in the world, but if you don't know anything about the school you're talking to or anything, then why is the coach going to want you when he's got someone else right there in his inbox? You know, in, in, in the height of it, we probably get anywhere from 50 to 100 emails a week from players. The kids who want to come and that's just to us so yeah i get emails myself actually as strength and conditioning coach a lot of time yeah so. it uh it's mostly for football but they do come true um you, you've obviously had a lot of success yourself in your playing days um but were you surprised when you came over of like you said what the standard was like um across either you know ncaa or npsl at the time yeah i think the standard was higher than probably what I expected it as well. Um, but the standard of everything out here, I think, is, is higher in some terms. You know, the facilities, obviously, are unbelievable when you drive past the high school and see they have a massive stadium and they have everything you could ever want compared, compared to back home where you're playing on a grass field that's not been cut in three weeks. You know, so... The facilities is, is, is a really big plus out here. And then um, I just think the standard has gone up massively every year as the game's grown and you see more kids playing it now compared to maybe other sports. And it's just good to see. It's good to see the game growing. Yeah. Uh, I referee college soccer games and I started uh, this past season. It was my second year, but I've probably done 35, 40 games. And even in those two years, it, it does seem to have changed, you know, for the better. Yeah. Would you have any advice? Um, I did get a, a Twitter message yesterday from, from someone we know. They were asking um, any advice specifically for a coach that wants to come out um, to America to, to work specifically with soccer. I think it's really hard to come out as a coach um, and think you're going to get straight into a college job. Because you can have all the qualifications in the world, but if you don't know the college system and the NCAA rules, it's 
going to be really, really hard for someone to take a punt on you without you having some sort of in of knowing someone and, you know, them giving a, having a reason to blindly take you. Yeah. I think you have to be prepared to come out and basically do your graft, you know, come out and coach kids and make some connections. Um, you can only sometimes get them on six-month or nine-month nine work visas, but come out, do your graft, get to know the system as much as you can, and then put yourself in a position where you are a lot more hireable. Yeah. Where you know what you're doing, you can have your impact on a program. Um, I know personally as a head coach now, unless I knew someone and knew why I was taking them, there's no way I would hire someone from abroad that hadn't played in the college system over here because it's yeah. just so different. It's so unique, yeah, compared to a, a regular, you know, nine, ten month season at home. And if, if you think about it, any any college job, not just soccer, um, any coaching college job, the percentage of work that is actually done on the field is so small compared to everything else with compliance and monitoring grades and being organized paperwork-wise and recruiting. You know, the, the actual work on the field is just a small part of it. You yeah. spend eight hours in the office. During the season, last year, I would normally go in the office about nine o'clock, nine to 10 o'clock. We'd practice at 5.45. Development team finished at eight o'clock. And then I'd go home after that. You're in for 11 hours and you're only two and a half hours that was actually on the field. And that was pretty much every day. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Um, just as you're the first collegiate coach, um, that I have had on the podcast. Um, can you talk a little bit about the format of fall and then, you know, what your goals are for off-season from spring, for example? Yeah, so for us in, in the fall, as soon as the kids get here, we, we give them a workout packet in the summer, like I'm sure most court schools do. Um, and we encourage them coming as fit as possible because if you don't, there's someone else that's going to jump above you right away. Because we, we do some fitness work, but we don't do like a two-miler, a bleep test, nothing like that. What's the point? You get 17 days of preseason before your first game. If you're not focusing on ball work from the start, then you're already behind the eight ball. So if they don't come in fit, that's on them. That's not on, that's not on us to get them fit. So then we get straight into the ball work. We get ready. We video all our games. We video our preseason games, and we'll work on breaking them down but team shape specifically very early. Um, and then it's just so hectic. As, soon, as quick as the season started, the season's coming to an end. So, you know, when normally, when I'm watching a game, say I'm watching Mercia Slippery Rock because we're playing Mercia next, I might clip Slippery Rock as well. So I've already got it done. It might take an extra hour then, but I've already got it done in preparation for two weeks when we play Slippery Rock. Um, I'd still watch another game, but I pretty much try to watch every single game I can in the PSAC. So I get as much as possible. Sometimes I'd have one game on the laptop, one game on the computer. I know some coaches, um, depends on their philosophy really, but you know, um, within the college system, you have the conference games and then non-conference games. Do you treat them any differently or do you go out you know, with full intentions to win every game or play some development players when you can? win every game best 
The next game should be our best performance and the next game should be another win every time. No one, no one gets any minutes for free because I don't believe in that. I don't think that's fair. Um, especially when you've got seniors who it's their last year, then they want to play every minute of every game. And why shouldn't they? But no, I'm not giving anything out to anyone just so they can feel good about themselves. You're going to earn everything you get. Yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure, um, but I would think you're probably one of the younger coaches in, in Division Two soccer as a head coach. How was that step up for you as an assistant? You were obviously around the players um, for a while before you were head. Um, but does that make a difference, you know, age or experience when you're working with kids that are, you know, maybe five or, or 10 years younger than you at most? Um, I think for me, it worked really well because I had a head coach that trusted me so much and let me do so much. Um, he taught me a lot on and off the field. And if I had an idea that I wanted to do in practice, he would say, yeah, go and go and do it. He would give me that authority and that um, that time to be able to go and do things like that. Other times, depending on when it was, sometimes he might say, I'll right, do it this way or do it this way. Let's hold on to that for a week and then try it. But it gave me the freedom to learn by doing. And obviously, the longer you do it, I think the better it you get when you see things that work and things that don't work. But that made a massive difference for me, I think, because I had the respect of all the players as an assistant. Um, it wasn't really that much of a change to me for them to get their hot head coach. I know that when they found out that I was leaving, a lot, of, a lot of them lobbied for me to get it. Yeah. So I don't think I've changed much as an assistant. Maybe I've made them relationships a little bit more professional to a degree, but they all come in my office when they want. We all text still and things like that. So I don't think there was a massive change. Well, Billy, that's about it. Um, so I have you. I'm trying to keep these nice and short and got to be respectful of your time uh, since you're already in your fall season. So I appreciate you coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me.